0: Take your Bibles and turn with us this morning, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 14, the book of Revelation in chapter number 14. I mentioned the several that we have out that are traveling. I noticed a couple of other of our families that are out. They could be sick. You be careful out and about. I've talked to a number of people that's been in and out of Tupelo Hospital this past week. I understand that the stray up and... um, the flu is just pretty rampant right now. And so be careful out traveling and the such like. And uh, it's good to have our visitors today. I started to say the Swords family, but now Melissa did take Troy's last name when they got married. I think he finally talked her into it. It's good to have the Montgomery. It's good to see Jerry Washington with us this morning. Amen, church. Amen. If you hadn't got by to see him yet and offer him the right hand of Christian fellowship, You do that. Hug his neck before he gets out of here. Treat him so many ways, he'll show up Wednesday night. Amen. We love you, Jerry. We love you. I tell our people all the time as they are seated, I pray for them. You and Mike Denley don't know it, but when I get right in that spot, I have prayed for you too and prayed for you too, and I love you. I appreciate you being kind to me, and I love you guys. It's good to see you here today. Revelation chapter 14, as you find verse 14, if you can and will, please stand with us. We'll honor the Word of God by standing for the reading of our text today. This is um, the final Sunday of the year, but the final Sunday uh, of the decade. How about that? We'll start a brand new decade next Sunday. Actually, we'll start that Wednesday evening, won't we? And uh, we trust that the days ahead are good days all right, Revelation 14, beginning with verse number 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat, likened to the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice, to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. I'm interested this morning in when the righteous judge returns to the earth. When the righteous judge returns to the earth. Brother David Box, would you pray for us, please? Amen. Thank you, and thank you for standing. Didn't Brother Jay do a good job with the song service this morning? I told him so after he got through leading the singing. I said, and you're probably even wearing them crazy socks, aren't you? He said, I am. When the righteous judge returns to the earth. I'm going to go back and count up. I don't. I don't know how many uh, sermons we've preached from uh, Revelation. I've kept my notes, but uh, this will finish up the 12th, or excuse me, the 14th chapter. And you remember when we got to chapter 12, we said that there'd be a block chapters 12, 13, and 14, where you have a pause. Writers call it a parenthetical. It's a break. And you remember up until that point, there'd been a progression chronologically. Uh, up through chapter 11. You remember that? As a matter of fact, in chapter number 1, verse number 19, we looked at the key verse to the book Jesus gave it to us. He, he told John, he said, Write the things which has been, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. That's past, present, and future. Very easy. Chapter number 1 is past, right? That was John's vision of Jesus. While he was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's day, while being there exiled to the island of Patmos, Domitian was the Roman emperor, had him treated like a common criminal. The present was chapters 2 and 3. Uh, there are seven churches written to in Asia Minor. It, it would be like a postal route, a big thoroughfare. Amanda and I are going to go, we want to go to a particular location one of these days, Lord willing, she'll act right and take her. And there's a big route, a big loop you can take. Well, those seven churches written to begins at Ephesus if you take the postal route or the common thoroughfare you would make a big loop you'd start at Ephesus you'd wind back up at Ephesus there was Ephesus you remember the uh, the church at Smyrna there was a church at Pergamos and Thyatira there was a church at Sardis the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea they were churches but they also represent the whole of the church age and we're living in the church age some people call it the dispensation of grace. Some call it the dispensation of the Holy Ghost. If it ever was the work of the Holy Ghost, it is in this era of time. And then we move to the third and largest section of the book. You remember that? In chapter number four, you remember that chapter begins with the two words after this. And John was called up into heaven. And we said that with John... Experiences individually in chapter number four, we all corporately are going to experience in the rapture one day. And it may be today. I was thinking we were singing that first hymn. Lord, you may come get us today. He may come get us today. And But everything is future. You remember we pointed out when we got to chapter four, that chapter begins with after this. Every other chapter until you get to the end of the book begins with the word and. It's a continuum. You begin in chapter 4, you don't stop until an amen at the end of the 22nd chapter. But you remember in chapter number 4, the throne. That's the dominant theme. Over and again, the throne is is a focus on the throne. Then in chapter number 5, you're still around the throne. Uh, But it's the book that's caught everybody's attention. There was a search went on in heaven and earth and under the earth. You remember that? For one that was worthy to open the, the book and he was standing there the whole time. The seven-sealed book. Then you remember in chapter number 6 through chapter 11, you began with the opening of the seven-sealed book, a seal at a time. And then we moved uh, at the opening of the seventh seal, you remember, to the seven trumpets. And then when we got to chapter number 11, uh, you remember there were the, uh, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we didn't get anything else, did we? And we're not going to get anything else till we? Give until next Sunday. We'll pick back up and chronologically. We'll begin to progress again. We'll begin to move again. And you'll see those seven vile judgments that are going to be poured out in rapid succession. But you remember we said when we got to chapters 12, 13, and 14 that we were going to take a step back. We'd come up to the sounding of the seventh trumpet and then this block of three chapters. we pick them up and you can go right back to the beginning of the tribulation period. And you'll go up to where we are and beyond, as you'll see here this morning. You remember we preached two messages out of chapter 12, 3 out of chapter 13, and this morning we'll prove to be 4 out of chapter 14. You remember the focuses were upon different characters, different personages, and some of the details that we did not have up until this point we've been given by looking at some of these people. You remember in chapter number 12 we looked at the woman, the man-child, and the great red dragon, and if I ask you who they were, you could tell me. The woman is Israel, the man-child Christ, and the great red dragon is the devil. You remember we looked at in chapter number 12 when the devil gets kicked out of heaven for the final time. There's coming a day when he won't have access to accuse the brethren or do anything else in the presence of God. God's going to kick him out for the very last time. We move to chapter number 13. We notice two beasts and a mark. Remember that? There was the beast that rose up out of the sea. That's the Antichrist. Antichrist. There's the beast that rose up out of the earth, that's the false prophet. Then there was the mark of the beast, which is the number of man, which is 600, three score and six, in other words, three sixes, or 666. People are more called up and intrigued over that number, uh, I suppose, than any other number in the book of Revelation. In chapter number 14, you remember we've looked at several things. In chapter number 14, uh, we started with those 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Uh, we moved from there, and we uh, talked about when God will give men their final opportunity. That day's coming. And we started that message out by mentioning how that, how that we rejoice in the fact that God is the God of a second chance or the God of another chance, but he's also the God of the final chance. And one day he's going to give man his final opportunity to be saved, that's it. Now, I want to confess something to you as your pastor. I think somebody left that day lost troubled by the Holy Spirit. I really believe that. Our, our last look into Revelation before Christmas, uh, three Sundays back, you remember we looked at a pre-written epitaph. Sometimes people make their funeral arrangements. I told you about in my old Schofield Bible. I was preaching out of for a number of years in the front of it back in 07. I made my funeral arrangements. There's still scratched there. Paul bears who I wanted to preach and, and uh, how I wanted everybody to cry and snot and act like, boy, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And uh, But sometimes people will go on and they'll make all their funeral arrangements. Sometimes they do it to take it off of their families. They'll pick out their casket. They'll pick out their clothing. They'll pick out the songs they want sung. They know who they want to preach their sermon and, uh, and uh, bring the message and do the obituary and all that sort of stuff. That's okay. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to consider doing that and take that off of your family. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. I believe it's wise to do that. And then some people will go so far as to say, I want this on my tombstone as an epitaph. And we mentioned several strange epitaphs. You remember that? You remember the man that he put on his tombstone, strange? And people walk by it and say, man, that's strange. Well, it is. He's in there. But the Holy Ghost specifically, it is said, if I'm right now, specifically, it is stated in the book of Revelation, twice that the Holy Ghost speaks. You hear the Father speak in Revelation. You hear the Son speak. But two times it is stated that the Holy Spirit says something. And the Holy Spirit said to John, "said get your pencil out. He said, write this down. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, saith the Spirit. He said, tell them I said that. Write that down. Put it in the canon. Put it in holy writ. Write it down. And he's talking about those that will die in the Lord. And uh, I'm telling you, these tribulations saints, beloved, they're some of the greatest that will ever grace the planet Earth. This morning, I'm interested in this final message. Now, in this parenthetical, in this break, in this pause, and it is is when the righteous judge returns uh, to this Earth, beloved. When he returns to this Earth, it isn't going to be a pretty sight, is it? If you know anything about what is to come... In Revelation. Now, all we get here is a glimpse of it. We'll see it in more detail later in the book of Revelation. When he came in his first advent, he came as lamb. He came as savior. When he comes in his next advent, I'm talking about when he comes to planet earth, uh, beloved, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as Lord. He's coming as boss. He's, he's going to take names uh, later I mean he 's coming to take over friend when he comes back he's that seven sealed book is a title deed to the earth and friend he 's the only one who has who is legal heir to that, and he aims to take it over and when he comes, he is going uh, to take it over when he comes again, he comes as lion of the tribe of judah he 'll be on the scene and taking it over before anybody knows uh, what has happened i couldn 't help but think about paul's uh, farewell address to young Timothy when he wrote in 2 Timothy 4 these familiar verses. You don't have to turn there. Some of you have them, have these verses memorized. He wrote, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Listen to what he said. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me and And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. He called him the Lord. He said, the righteous judge. And this righteous judge is holy and just. Righteous means he's right. And beloved, when he comes and takes over, uh, uh, again, it's not going to be necessarily a pretty thing. You remember when we started chapter number 14, we said in chapter number 14 that God uh, gave to John seven visions and in this 14th chapter, and we'll look at the 7th one uh, here today, and it is when he comes back uh, to this earth. Notice with me verse number 14. Notice the returning of the righteous judge to the earth. The returning of the righteous judge to the earth. Verse number 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. There's no doubt about who John sees here. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. He he sees him as as he's given a preview of this this hour that is yet to come, and he gives us a preview, just a glimpse into the future here. uh, Beloved, he is pointing us to Jesus Christ. In in verse number 7 of the first chapter, he had already told us to expect this. Chapter number 1 of Revelation, verse 7, he wrote this, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus spoke of this in Luke chapter number 21 and verse 27, where the Bible says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And here in our text verse, verse number 14, again to read it, he says, John says, And I look, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. The returning of the righteous judge uh, to the earth. You'll notice, it, uh, you'll notice it, that John points out two things about him, two particular things that's attached to it. Uh, one is a crown, and the other is a sickle. The crown is upon his head and the sickle is in his hand. And notice this crown here. He says something about this crown. I don't want to say something about two kinds of crowns. We've done this before several chapters back. But in Revelation 19, 16, we get a glimpse of when he comes again after the marriage, supper of the Lamb, whenever Jesus will come again. And in Revelation 19, in verse number 6, the Bible says he will have on his vesture uh, and on his thigh, a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what that lets us know is that he's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. As I mentioned earlier, he's coming to take over. In that same chapter, in verse number 12, Revelation 19 and 12, the Bible says there, uh, on his head were many crowns. That word crowns over there comes from the, uh, comes from the word diadem or diadema. The crowns, that's, that's a crown that is given to somebody by virtue of who they are. The Queen of England wears the British crown. I've been to the gates of, uh, of Buckingham Palace some uh, four or five times in my life. The Queen has never come out to see me. But one of these days I shall bow at the feet of the King of Kings. Uh, Beloved, I am welcome in his presence. I am invited into his presence. Uh, Anytime I see fit, I can come boldly into the presence of the king of kings. You see, in Revelation 19, in verse uh, number 12, on his head were many crowns, that is, diadems. Before this thing even gets started, he is the true king. He is the true Lord. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. That's who he is. But it's interesting that here in verse number, in chapter number 14 and verse number 14, this word for crown is not the diadem, but it's the stephanos. It's the stephanos. It's the crown that was given. It's the law wreath. It was given to those who were victorious in the Roman games, or the Isthmian games, or the Corinthian games. be much like our Olympics today, the competition that they would, at the end of the competition, they would give the stephanos. And, of course, that lets us know that not only is our Lord king of kings and and he being glorious in his person, but now, beloved, he is victorious as well. You see, before the fight ever begins, God wants us to know that our Lord, the king himself, when the dust gets settled, he is king, he is Lord. He shall prove himself triumphant and victorious wearing the Stephanos, wearing the victor's crown, beloved. As a matter of fact, this fight is fixed. This fight is rigged. Just as sure as when they put his body, uh, when they anointed his body with spices and wrapped it in a borrowed tomb, the tomb, tomb of the rich man Joseph of Arimathea, it was already pre-programmed. He'd get up three days later and walk out. Um, somebody said he walked out at sunup, or they moved the stone to let him out. He's out for the stone got moved, I believe. You don't have to move a stone for him. He walks through walls. He takes a step and crosses the Milky Way, beloved. He does what he wants to do. He's boss. He's Lord. As a matter of fact, you don't have to wait for the dust to settle to call him Lord. He's already Lord. Sometimes somebody will say, well, I took him as Savior in 1970. I didn't make him Lord until 1980. You didn't make him Lord to begin with. He's always been Lord, beloved. Uh, He'll be wearing a golden crown on his head. And then John says that he'll have a sharp sickle in his hand. Uh, It's interesting how that uh, here in these verses, seven times, he he points out that he'll have a sickle in his hand. He's going to carry a sickle. Seven times. Uh, You may want to underline these uh, in your Bible. This word uh, carries with it the idea of the harvest, the wheat harvest. Look at verse number 14. And I'll emphasize it as we come to the word sickle. I want to show you these seven times the word sickle is mentioned. Verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat, likened to the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. Verse 16. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth. And the earth was reaped. Look at verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The last time, verse number 19, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth. He has a... He has a golden crown on his head. He has a sharp sickle in his hand. It's an instrument that was used in the harvest of wheat. There'll be a great harvest when Jesus comes back to this world. He's he's coming to judge the world, you know. He's coming to judge the world. Chapter number 19 verse number 11 the bible says and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war did you know a lot of people in our day don't want you talking about the lord being judge a lot of people don't want that but I'm going to tell you he is he is lord he is uh, he is judge. A lot of folk that don't want you saying say anything about his being judge want to make much of his love, and you ought to make much of his love. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's not just that he loves, he is love. Thank God he is, amen. But now, beloved, he is judge as well. Listen to what listen to the verse we read earlier in our hearing. Second to Timothy four and eight magnifies again his being judged. The Bible says, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Same chapter, first verse of that chapter. As Paul was charging Timothy, this is what he said to him. Before he said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and, and doctrine. This is what he wrote. He said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. That was what he was referring to. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 31, Paul's standing on Mars Hill. Somebody probably if it were in our day, probably would have said, Paul, you can't preach on, on Mars Hill. And I can hear Paul say, Bless God, I can. Give me my Bible. I'll preach me be about like old Bilbo Lively. I never had figured out why. In, uh, in New Albany, Main Street's on the backside of town. Bankhead is Main Street. Understand, on Main Street used to be Trade Day on Saturday. And the town bully told Bilbo Lively he couldn't read and write when God called him to preach. His wife would read his text, and he had lied into preaching. And. Uh, And and the bully told him to put a double-barrel shotgun in his belly. Billy, uh, uh, Bilbo Lively was a rather large man, I understand. I never had the privilege of knowing him. I look forward to meeting him on the other side. A lot of what you read about Percy Ray, I want you to know, uh, according to the old heads from years ago, uh, Bilbo Lively was who? uh, Percy Ray, he and Estes Perkle were the two that Percy Ray would go to about matters of, of need and matters of prayer. But the bully backed the hammers on his double barrel and said get up on the back end of that trailer and preach again I'll cut you in two big boy and said Bull Lively never missed a step said one step and he was right up on the back of that trailer he said come here mama read one more time and the bully made his way out I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you one of these days uh, notice, notice what he said here I've lost my train of thought you forgive me uh, here uh, notice with me Where am I at? I'm on this sickle. I've lost. Yeah, right here. He's coming as judge. Watch this. In 2 Timothy 4 and 1, he says, Before he charged Timothy to preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. He said, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing? Here is where I got to. I finally caught up with my slow brain. Paul was preaching on Mars Hill. He was preaching in a place you would have not dared preach. But Paul preached there. Paul was willing to preach in the face of a devil if he would give himself to him. But Paul on on Mars Hill said in Acts 17, verse number 31, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He said God's going to judge the world through that man that was crucified and buried. and rose, he raised him from the dead. In John chapter number 5 and verse number 22, the Bible says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus shall ride out of heaven on a, on a, white, uh, on a white horse, beloved. He's coming in the clouds, and when he comes to this earth, he's coming to judge this earth. Coming to judge this earth. Isn't it amazing how this world... Uses the name of Christ as a byword, just a slur, just a word of ridicule and scorn anymore. Uh, you, you, see, you hear it on the TV set. You hear it on the radio. You see it in writings these days by journalists. They'll, they use Jesus Christ as just a swear word, just some little flunky title. Beloved, I'm telling you, when Jesus comes, it won't be a flunky that's going to be coming. He's coming as Lord. And he's coming to judge. You remember me telling you about a friend I used to work with years ago in the late 80s. Down here on Highway 41, he walked out of a mobile home. They were playing poker and drinking liquor one night. Somebody had said something about God. He walked out on the front porch in a thunderstorm. He said, I don't believe there's a God. If there's a God, and said something, whatever he said, and then lightning about that time. Uh, hit, uh, hit, hit an oak tree out in the front, and he jumped back in the door. i tell you, make, make somebody think think trying to dare God. Years ago, Joseph Parker, the preacher from, the British preacher from England, heard the story of the agnostic Robert Ingersoll. Ingersoll was vulgar and blasphemous. And Ingersoll would make a mockery of Christ, make a mockery of the teachings of the Bible. He thought he could prove there were were holes in the Bible, there were contradictions in the Bible. As a matter of fact, he had a had an ad in, in the Chicago Tribune or whatever the Chicago paper was. He was advertising cigars. He said, smoke in this world, and you won't have to worry about smoking in the world to come. He'd make make light of, uh, make light of, of Christ and make light of the truth of Scripture. Joseph Parker, somebody told him how Ingersoll pulled his pocket watch out, and he raised the lid to it, and he said uh, he'd been talking about God, been making a mockery of God, and... And he said, uh, "He said, if there be a God, I dare you strike me down in sixty seconds." Raised the lid to his little pocket watch, and he counted all sixty seconds: one, two. And he'd look at his crowd: three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way over until he got to the sixty seconds, beloved. And um, oh, beloved! Somebody told Joseph Parker about that, and Joseph Parker said to the one that was telling him, uh, "How dare he think that he could exhaust the long suffering of God in sixty seconds? Uh, you ought to thank God for His long suffering today, and I ought to thank God for His long suffering. But I tell you, His patience is going to run out one day. When He comes back to this world, when He comes, He's coming to judge." I borrowed from some of the words from Jonathan Edwards, great sermon on two or three occasions since being here. His great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You ought to read that sermon. You can go on the Internet and download it or look at it and read it. It's one of the sermons that that God used in this country. It was preached in the latter part of the 18th century in Enfield, Connecticut in a monotone voice. I don't know if they have told it just for effect, but... It's been told he leaned against his pulpit and he read his notes in a monotone voice. And people began to cry out for the mercy of God. And God started a great movement that day as he preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Some of the words from Jonathan Edwards' great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He said this, he said these words, among others, he said, The wrath of God is like great waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the higher the stream stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when it is let loose. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. Beloved, love it, that shall take place. Maybe we need to approach our prayers for our loved ones differently. Maybe instead of saying, Preacher, would you pray for my daughter? Why, she's backslid. Maybe we ought to take biblical evidence and say, there's not any fruit. Perhaps they walk in darkness. Perhaps it is that they are lost. They are a child of the wicked one. Perhaps they are of the kingdom of of the devil instead of the kingdom of Christ. For there be no fruit. Do you know shall they be living at this time? They will have survived a great tragedy and trial worldwide. But when Jesus comes, there is no escaping. There's no pleading for mercy at this time. God, God's Son, will return to this earth. The righteous judge, notice the reaping of the righteous judges. He returns to this earth, verses 15 through 18. We'll read the verses here in just a moment, but let me, let me just remind you, when we think about harvest a lot of times, we think about souls, getting souls in. He that winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. And you remember what Jesus said in those verses out of John uh, chapter number 4, verses 34 and 35, about reaching the lost souls of the world. You remember what he said in John chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. Jesus saith unto them, My need is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work, say ye not there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. He said, Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. What a missionary text. The night David Livingston answered the call to go to Africa, the weather was frigid outside. It was almost an abandoned sanctuary. He heard the call of a missionary and answered that call. He's believed to be the greatest missionary that went to Africa, that's ever set foot on the continent of Africa. There have been many missionaries, answer the call to the mission field. Say, you're not there yet four months, then cometh harvest. Jesus said, take the blinders off, look around you. Your mamas are lost, your daddies are lost, your husbands are lost, your wives are lost, your babies are lost. He said, don't wait four months. Get busy. Oh, there's coming a day when it's too late. The God of the second chance will be the God of the last chance. The reaping. I want you to be found in Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read two verses from Matthew chapter number 13. I'm to make some observations about the harvest. There are two harvests that he mentions here. He mentions the grain harvest and he mentions the grape harvest we're going to read several verses out of Matthew 13, but let me just remind you, not only the reaping of souls is seen to be as a harvest, but when Jesus comes back to this world, there's another kind of harvest. It's a harvest that has to do with judgment. Matthew 13, 30, the Bible says, Let both both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, But gather the wheat into my barn. Skipping down to verse 40 now. Hold your place here because I'm coming back to here in just a moment. Verse number 40 of Matthew 13. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. In the end time harvest. Beloved Jesus shall take his sickle and shall walk just as they took the sickle. And they would walk and they would cut down the wheat And the wheat would fall down and there would be those that would be gatherers would come by, roll them up and bundle them, put them on a wagon or on a beast and take them to the threshing floor. Jesus is going to come one day with his sickle and he's going to cut down the lost, beloved, and he's going to gather them and cast them into the fire. We quit preaching that a long time ago. Listen to this, you hold your place in Matthew 13. I'm, I'm coming back there. Let me read two of our text verses this morning regarding the grain harvest, verses fifteen and sixteen. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, "Thrust in thy sickle and reap." He says, "For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe." And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was uh, reaped. The angel says to the Lord, thrust in thy sickle. You're holding it, thrust it in. The time has come. Now, if you know anything about the parables of Matthew chapter number 13, they are the parables of the kingdom. You can make a lot of application, but they're the parables of the kingdom. And if you can understand those parables, you'll see, see, beloved, even that uh, mustard seed becoming a monstrosity. You'll see how things get so out of sorts with what that Bible says ought to be as part of Christianity in the last days. But in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the wheat, of course, is pictured here as those of us, are those who are saved at the time of the Lord's coming. But the tares are those who are lost without God. Tares were known as a type of weed. They were identified by the name Darnell. They grew at the same rate of speed, uh, rate of rate of growth as as wheat. They looked like wheat. They were of the same texture as wheat. As a matter of fact, the only way you could tell uh, the tear from the wheat was you had to wait till harvest time. Now the tares always grew among the wheat. They didn't grow out here on the highway side. Where you found wheat, you would find tares. Sometimes people think of a tare as somebody sitting on a bar stool. But now that's not a tare. A tare is somebody sitting on a church pew. A tare is somebody that goes to church every Sunday. A tare is somebody that ties of the increase. That's what a tare is. It'd make a good showing, but it's null and void on the inside. There's no fruit. See, see a dead root produces no. Fruit, no fruit. It it has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof. Jude talked about them and he identified them like this. He said, clouds they are without water. The idea there in the Middle East, they look forward to the early rain and the latter rain. Both the Old Testament and the New speak speak of the early rain and the latter rain. sometimes in times of drought, they might not get the latter rain. It'd be a time of drought, and they'd see a little cloud coming in, and they'd rejoice, go to thanking God, but it'd come, and then it'd blow off the scene, leaving no rain. That's a tear, friend. That's a tear. Now, look, you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 13. Read with me here. I'll read these verses, 37 through 43. 37 through 43, and then we'll make our way back over uh, to uh, Revelation 14, and, and uh, in just a few minutes I'll, I'll finish the message. Watch this. Matthew 13, 37 to 43, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. At then shall the righteous shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. Go back to Revelation 15. I'm going to give you some familiar verses out of the Sermon on the Mount. The is somebody who would be sitting in church here today. I'm going to tell you, Christ will receive all who will come unto him, but there's coming a day he will receive no one else. No one else. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Hard to imagine. You remember what Jesus said? I just suppose this would fit into the category of the tear. You remember what he said on the, in the great sermon on the mount? He said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, if we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, and to hell they shall go. Look at verse number 15, the end of verse number 15. Notice this phrase, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Did you know that that word ripe comes from a word that doesn't just speak of being ripe, but it means to be overly ripe? I used to pastor a man. uh, Every Sunday he'd come to church, and he'd say, he'd say, Preacher, I'm living on borrowed time. Lord's been good to me. He'd He'd say, Preacher, I'm living on borrowed time. And he told me right after I first went there his pastor what he was talking about. He said, the Bible speaks of uh, the average age, uh, lifespan of a man being 3 score and 10, 70 years of, o- of age. He's about 76 years old. And he said, you know, he said, I'm living on borrowed time. He said, Lord's been good to me. In other words, what he was trying to say is, I, really, I'm overripe. I'm past 70. There won't be anybody in hell that will be able to say, I should not be here. Not a one. Not a man, not a woman, not a boy, not a girl. Not one. Not one. And not one of them will escape admitting, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. Not a one of them shall escape bowing the knee, but it'll be too late to be saved. There is a time, there is a time. As a matter of fact, early on in the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us during the days of the antediluvian age, the days of Noah, my spirit shall not always strive with man. You know, I said that we might want to approach our loved ones differently if there's no fruit. You know how God deals with a, love, uh, deals with a saved individual, don't you? He, he speaks in a still, small voice. You don't have to tell me when there's sin in my life. There's a traveler that goes with me everywhere I go. That can be to the poor house in Troy or to the White House in Washington, D.C. If I go, he goes. He don't miss a trip. He'll deal with me in a still, small voice. And he'll talk in Mississippi, redneck slang. You know, sometimes I've stopped. We've had a little joke. You know, I'll interpret. When I just kind of run through my work, I'll stop and I'll say, let me give you an interpretation of that. He don't need an interpretation. Matter of fact, when he talks to me, he talks to me like I talk to him. He'll talk where I can understand him. When I don't heed that voice, he'll send a warning. You ever heard somebody say, boy, God whipped the riches off me, and, uh, and you watch them a little while, God ain't done nothing to them. Son, when God whipped the riches off Jacob, he had a limp from the day, from that, that night that he wrestled with the Lord in Genesis 32 to his dying day. I'm talking about God's people right here. Now, listen, careful. Did you know that if we don't heed the warning, he'll take us out of this walk of life? Now, do let me pause to say, for the child of God, heaven is a promotion. Heaven is a promotion. There's a guy who wanted to put his hands on me. There's a guy who did put his hands on me a few years. There's a guy who wanted to put his hands on me. And I said, look, you're not threatening me with heaven. But it's not a promotion, friend, when you stand in shame and nakedness before your Savior. Choosing this world over him. But listen to me. Just as sure as God runs out of patience with his own young'uns sometimes, he runs out of patience with lost people. Do you think when Robert Ingersoll died that I referred to earlier? In 1891 or 1892? I remember reading of him years ago. It was either 1891 or 1892. He died. His family was so shocked. They had no hope. They didn't know what to do. They forbade anybody from removing his body. Law enforcement had to come. Take his body. They incinerated it. Gathered his ashes. They wept on the lawn of of the funeral parlor. Didn't know what to do. I wonder where Ingersoll was when God said, I've given you chance after chance. You've hidden it and you've suppressed it. You turned stiff neck away from it. That's it. You're off to hell now. I wonder if, he was, if it was 10 years prior to death. According to the book of John, a man who is lost. The condemnation of God yet abideth on him. Do you know what that's likened to? It's likened to a missionary It brought a little couple over, showing them the work. And the man of the couple was standing in the mouth of a cave. And this was back in days when you had to take the negatives into a dark room. And that particular shot, when the light flash went off, standing behind that man, he never attacked him, but it was a crouching line. In just a moment, that lion could have had him mangled him, taking his life. I won't tell you, if you're here today, you're lost without Christ like that. Death doesn't always announce it's coming. You don't have to be old to die. You don't have to be sick to die. You don't have to be in a wreck to die. You don't have to have cancer to die. You don't have to have a heart attack to die. You don't have to have a brain aneurysm or one in your stomach to die. You know, I thought about it, and I'm sure you get tired of hearing it, but I hadn't lived your life. I thought about it a number of times. Dick Kieran and I talked about this. I finally said it late in the year in 07 to the church out of Hurkin. Every day that year, I thought about dying. Every day, I thought about death. He said, Brother Kevin, he said, I knew you did. He said, because of what you went through, I thought about it too. But you know what I, you know what I realized, Brother Chris, in that year? I ain't no better than nobody else. That's good English, ain't it? But I ain't no better. I'm saying it where you can get this. I ain't no better than any other preacher, any other person, any other man, any other woman. Why should God grant me another day of life? That's coming today. And I'm going to tell you right here. It's where we ought to shout. As I touched on earlier, God is long-suffering. Peter wrote about that, didn't he? He said he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You remember our word, right? It means to be over right. speaks of the long-suffering of God. I ought to be in hell today. But... God has been long-suffering. I heard the gospel and did not respond. But God has been long-suffering. I heard it again and didn't respond. Yea, God hath been long-suffering. Saved just shy of my 23rd birthday. Surrender to preach just after my 25th birthday. God's been long-suffering. Let, let me just say this. I've got to quit here in just a minute. You've got nowhere else to go today, though. I got you for the rest of the year. How many of us who are saved? You know you're saved. You know you're saved. There have been times in your life you have not walked with Christ but you could say, preacher, God's been long-suffering. You know what it means to be long-suffering? It means he suffers long. He puts up with. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, One part of the fruit of the Spirit. Let me rephrase that and say it right. Part of the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering. Sometimes we say, I can't put up with... Uh, God has put up with us. I don't tell you something about mercy. You better show people a little mercy. Because I'll promise you there'll come a time when you'll need some of it yourself. I'm way off the message as far as my notes are concerned. But he mentions a grain harvest. He mentions the grape harvest. He's going to put his sickle in and gather the grapes The idea is to be put in the wine press, which was a big vat. And the way they'd harvest them is they'd bring those grapes from the vine. They'd bring them, put them in the vat. And there would be people that would get in with their bare feet, and they would walk, and they would press. They would trample those grapes. And the juice, the grape juice, of course, would make its way to the bottom. And there would be a spout, and it would trickle out. And what this text tells us, beloved, is he's going to put the sickle in. All those tears are going to be gathered up and cast into the fire. And he's going to squash. He's going to trample. how about the judge. And he's right in doing it. He's right. He's right in doing it. He's right. Several of you have asked me the question. Brother Jay, I don't know if you've been asked the question yet or not. Sure, you have, being as you're doing the end times in your Sunday school class. Some have asked me the question, do you believe that we're going to be at the great white throne judgment? Personally, I don't. I don't. I know tears aren't wiped away until the latter chapters, the latter verses almost of Revelation, but you don't read of weeping. You don't read of weeping past the early chapters of anybody caught up in heaven. As a matter of fact, when you go to hell, if you understand the passage in Luke 16 and other other passages of Scripture, there'll be outer darkness. and You'll have it to yourself. You'll have it to yourself. The rich man that died and went to hell looked across a great gulf, saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He could see what he missed out on, but there's no evidence he could see anybody around him. I know some people today that are battling depression. And don't ever make fun of people who do. You take you a trip down Depression Street, you won't ever make fun of somebody that feels like they are just broke in life. But the ones that I know today that are battling it are battling it out of loneliness. Out of loneliness. The greatest loneliness that'll ever be known to humans. Is in hell. It'll be in hell. The lover of the soul, Jesus Christ, calleth for thee today. Will you come to him? Notice this. I'm just going to give it to you. Verse 20. Notice the result of the righteous judge and his coming. You'll notice his retribution, verse number 20. The wine press was trodden without the city. Watch this. And blood came out of the winepress, even into the horse bridles. I wish I had a pasture. I'd have a horse. I love a horse. I love a mule. They look like my kinfolk. I love to ride a horse. It's good exercise if you ride them. Betsy, you've got a horse, don't you? It's good exercise. You say, riding a horse, good ex- it's good exercise. It'll exercise every part of your being. more your core, but every part of your being. What's being referred to is the battle that we refer to as the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to take place in Megiddo. Go home. Those of you that take notes, write down Megiddo. M-E-G-I-D-D-O. Megiddo. Reese Ward, we were at the, we were in the Holy Land. Reese Ward, that's where he got an opportunity to preach. At Megiddo. Go look at the images of Megiddo. The Battle of Armageddon. When all the nations shall be gathered. The blood's going to come up to the horse's bridle. That's somewhere between four and five feet deep. Come up to the horse's prowl. Ezekiel wrote about it and said it will take seven years to bury. No, seven years to clean the carnage up. Seven months to bury the dead. I'm glad I'm saved today. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm saved, that God would show mercy to me. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed to carry my Bible. If I felt like it, I'd carry it right down the main aisle of Walmart. I don't give a rip. God's done more for me than I could have ever done for myself. God loved me more than my mama loved me. He sent his son to die for me. One of our men said in the prayer room, believe it was last week, I couldn't send. I couldn't give my son to die for you. Up to the horse's bridle. And then the length that he mentions there is 200 miles long. Go home, look it up on the internet Megiddo. Napoleon said it's the greatest natural battlefield on the planet. And Christ is going to come out of the sky. He's going to kick rear end and take names later. This world has made fun of him and mocked him and ridiculed him. He's coming back. Are you ready? Let's stand.